Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes? Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. Just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet, and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over. You won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today. Welcome to the Job Interview Experience. I'm a former executive recruiter, search firm owner, director of talent acquisition, and today, the founder of Candidate Club Interview Prep and your host of the Job Interview Experience. Johnny Walker is the founder of The Executive Edge. As an executive career coach, Johnny helps professionals increase their salary, pursue better careers and opportunities, and negotiate like the top professionals in the world Through his work, Johnny has won industry awards for executive search. And on top of this, Johnny hosts the Executive Edge show on LinkedIn Live and is here today so you can learn an executive approach to your job search and process. No matter where you are in your career, Johnny, welcome to the job interview experience. Thank you. I appreciate it. Before we jump into the career-related questions, we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. Tell us about yourself. Outside of work, how do you like to spend your time? Well, uh, thanks for that. I'm a dad before I'm anything else. I've got a six-year-old daughter, uh, and I spend a lot of time thinking about how to create experiences for her and create a, a values framework so she can navigate life in the future with you know confidence and happiness. So I, I take it seriously. Um, uh, but you know, when I'm not being dad, uh, I've climbed the highest freestanding mountain in the world. Uh, around a 100-meter race at the London Olympic Stadium in 2012, uh, which is when we hosted the Olympics. Um, when I was a teenager, I won trophies for freestyle BMX. Uh, I play chess. I'm a maths nerd. I love Wordle. Thank you to the New York Times for buying that and keeping it going. Um, and I still got ambitions. I want to run a marathon before I get too, uh, t- too old in my dotage. And I want to swim from Europe to Africa. Um, and then I'll stop messing around with the physical challenges. Um, when I was younger, I circumnavigated the world with my parents who so got around the whole place before the age of nine. And so I'm very grateful now to have a very broad cultural outlook on the world. 
And plus, you know, just by dint of my age and the fact that I seem to have, you know, have tried lots of different things, um, I've made lots and lots and lots of mistakes, some truly immense ones in my back catalogue of mistakes. And so I benefited from those and, and I've got a lot of learning now. So, yeah, there you go. I'm just a, just a guy navigating across the world and having some fun doing it. Oh, let me ask, what mountain was it that you climbed? Uh, Kilimanjaro, uh, which is in Africa. Um, when you're a kid and you draw mountains, they're basically just a triangle, whereas most mountains are actually part of a long range, a bit like Everest and K2 and Annapurna are, whereas Kilimanjaro is a freestanding mountain. It's just on its own. It's, it is a big triangle, and, and it's snow-capped at the top. In fact, it, basically, it's an inert volcano. That's why it's the shape it is. It looks exactly like you draw them as a kid. Um, and it took about a week to get up there, uh, a few days, less time to come down. It's obviously faster coming down. And it was about seven, eight days in total. Um, uh, and the top of it is high enough for it to be low on oxygen. They call it the death zone. Um, people do die at the top there just through sheer lack of oxygen. Um, we did it unaided, so without um, oxygen equipment. Um, but you do have to have your wits about you. It's not a, not a stroll. Let me propose if your life is anything like mine and your work is like mine, my guess would be is you, you know, you summited Kilimanjaro, probably out of breath, exhausted, and your phone rings and one of your clients is calling you for a piece of advice. Did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. at the top of um, Kili in, in Tanzania, there's not a lot of phone signal there. Um, <laughs> so, no, no I, I, what happened was I was sat at my flat in London um, in a place called Shoreditch, which is just outside the Square Mile, which is the UK equivalent of Wall Street. Um, and very chi-chi, it's full of bars and nightlife, and it's a really nice part of town. And my girlfriend said, look, before we start a family, what do you want to do? And I just very glibly answered without looking up, I want to run a marathon, um, climb a mountain, and swim an ocean. And she went, okay, and that was it. I didn't think any more of it. And then three months later, she'd actually booked us in to climb Killy. Just, you know, that was it. She, she was on it straight away. And so uh, up we went. It was a lot of training. Um, and it changed me. I came down a lot more confident. Um, I, I look, you know, I was in executive search at the time. This is back in 2012. And I had a couple of clients who were um, just a real pain to deal with, um, that they, they treated recruiters quite dismissively. They were quite disrespectful. But, you know, they made me a lot of money, and so I suffered it. But I thought, you know what? You know, part of the reason why I, I tolerate them is because I'm afraid of the conversation. I didn't want to sit them down and say, look, this isn't working, because, you know, they were going to give me an earful of, abuse um but having climbed the mountain i thought you know what if i can do that i can have the conversation so i came down and i spoke to the clients and the first client was like oh my goodness i didn't understand we had no idea we can absolutely fix that and actually the relationship improved immeasurably and i tolerated their abuse for years um completely unnecessarily the second client went exactly the way i feared well if you think you're so special as a recruiter we can find another one elsewhere um you know, and and they basically you know we ended the relationship but i woke up the following day like I was 100 pounds lighter because I never had to speak to them again. And so that changed me as a person. I have a lot more courage um, to, yeah, just to, to, to face um, things that have potential adversity. To, I, I'm, I'm, I'm less afraid of the unknown than I used to be as a result of climbing the mountain. Good for you. I, I'm always, I always get this sense of relief when doing something. And, you know, I don't do anything high risk at least not these days, but, you know, when work is stressful and you're in the office way too much or at home way too much, if you get out and do something that is, you know, for the most part, at least seems beyond yourself, the new perspective you gain on, on the little things that happen in life. And then, as you said, the courage you build to, you know, yeah. overcoming the mountain itself, but then also overcoming those things in your head. I always encourage listeners and anyone I can, just even if you have to take a walk around the block, get out, get some fresh yeah. air 
and you'll gain a new perspective. I have some questions here that I'm really eager to ask you and, and things that our listeners are going to want, going to, want to hear. But again, Perfect. before we dig into that, can you just give us a brief overview of your career and what you what led you to where you are today? Sure. Um, the, the, the principal chunk of my career was as an executive search consultant. You can call them a headhunter or a posh recruiter. I don't really care about the label. Um, but um, I, I was... I walked into a recruitment business uh, uh, when I was made redundant from a, a role a long, long, long time ago. Um, and a couple of weeks later, they called me back and said, oh, we've got this job for you. It was a very poor match to me, but I happened to be around the corner from their office shopping, spending my redundancy money. Um, and so I walked in and, and let the recruitment consultant have it with both barrels about how average they were and how unimpressed I was. And the regional director happened to be in and said, well, if you think you're already good, why don't you do it? And that's how I got into executive search. But I was in that for 17 years. I've sat at board level for startups. Um, I've sat around the table with billionaires at NASDAQ-listed companies. I ran my own business for 10 years. Um, I've mentored businesses and people and spent most of my time as an executive search consultant. Um, but when my daughter came along six years ago, um, I didn't want to go back to the commute and the office in central London. And so I put a post out on LinkedIn. Um, now, I should say, before you hear the next stat, I do have some serious game in digital marketing. I got the Deloitte Global 500 Award for it. So you know, I knew what I was doing. But I put a post out on LinkedIn, which gained a quarter of a million views, 2,000 likes, about 1,000 comments. And that launched my online coaching program, which I've been running ever since. Um, and uh, that's called the Executive Edge. But basically, I've always been in the, in the sort of job-seeking space, for want of a better phrase. As far as the Executive Edge goes, what is it that you do there, and, and how does that help the clients that you work with? So I help senior executives, um, tend to be sub-board and CXO types, get their ideal job, uh, and they get to define that faster uh, and for more money without them having to do that show-and-tell sales pitch piece, which is a bit demeaning if you're at that serious level. Uh, and we use a thing called the seven-step executive edge program, which I created. Um, that program is now online, um, but I, I'm there live every week on video calls to support people as they execute on that program. And it comes with something which is very rare in the um, executive coaching world or the job-seeking coaching world, which is a 100% money-back guarantee. Um, the program's been around for a long time, and we've refined it to within an inch of itself now. So there's nothing really left to do. And we've always you know, polished it a bit, but there's, all the heavy lifting's been done. So as long as you do the work, as long as you follow it, and I've completely de-risked the program. I've made it as paint-by-numbers as I possibly can. Um, we've helped out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people already. Just follow the steps, do the work, and you will guaranteed success, which is your ideal job, whatever you define that as, faster, for more money, without having to sell yourself. I get emails from listeners that are VPs at uh, even some fan companies, and then I get... Mm -hmm. I talk to listeners that are just entering their career or would consider themselves not in the professional world and working to transition into it. So with that said, yeah. not all of our listeners are six-figure earners yet. Um, and I'm guessing, you know, total comp packages for some of the people you work with might even enter the seven-figure range, maybe more. So Absolutely. For, our, for our listeners that have ambition, but they're also at maybe a different point in their career. Can you share a couple pointers from your perspective working on these high, working with these high-level senior executives? 
how can we integrate maybe a point or two from that into our job search or our interview interactions? Yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, I believe that 80% of what I coach um, is agnostic to the salary level that people are at. Um, I coach people at that salary level for two reasons. Um, one is they can afford me for a start off. Um, uh, and secondly, that's the level at which I'm at in my career. So I have more empathy with them. But it's not actually related to the content of the program which I run, um, which anybody could use. Um, and, and we are, and I'll talk a little bit later on, but we, we have a, a, a version of the program which is much more cost effective for people who are on less money. But I think the biggest differentiator that anybody can have, regardless of the level they're at, including people just starting out and people who are early on in their career, is themselves. And I don't get too Instagrammy and cliche about the whole thing, but you know, you are the differentiator, all right? The Dr. Zeus uh, taught us all when we were children that no one is youer than you, all right? Allow yourself to be seen. One of the biggest factors I help executives out with is discrimination. The biggest one being ageism. Most of my clients tend to be 45 to 55, and a bit of gray hair sometimes is a reason why they don't get hired. But there's also racism and sexism and homophobia. And the way to avoid interviews with hiring managers who are never going to offer you the job because they just don't like your gray hair or your skin tone or your choice of sexual partner or really anything else about you is to make sure that they see you beforehand. Let them see you in all of your glory and let them self-select out of your life. All right. If there's some kind of bigoted idiot, you don't want to ever want to meet those people. It's going to be a colossal waste of your time. Everyone else who can see you will go on to interview you knowing your age or whatever and not let that be a factor in their decision-making. They've jumped that hurdle already. So if you're just starting out in your career, then I would say that allow yourself to be seen, perhaps on LinkedIn, do a short video or, or, or other social media that's appropriate for your industry space. Allow them to see you, all right? No one's going to transform their business by watching a 30-second video, but they might all make a decision about whether or not they like you. And those that don't saves you a lot of time going for an interview. And those that do think, you know what, that person might be a bit of us. You know, that, that their voice kind of sits roughly in the range that we're at. You know, they're not mm. too assertive. They're not too shy. You know, that they, they seem to be like us. Let's get them in. Let's put them on the list for a chat. There's another benefit to that as well, is that having seen you and chosen you for interview because they've seen you, yeah, you've got a thing called confirmation bias working for you. The hiring manager believes they've chosen someone good, yeah, and they want you to confirm their ability to choose well with your interview performance. They're actually rooting for you because it flatters them. So allowing yourself to be seen allows yourself to be chosen by people who like you for being you. No one else can beat that. And you've tilted the deck slightly in your favor um, when you come to interview. So uh, yeah, I, I, visibility, I think, is, is a big one. I've never spoken about this, and I've never had a guest bring it up, and it's brilliant. And what's interesting, when you, while you're speaking, while I was the director of talent acquisition, we had to hire a lot of people in a very competitive job market from about 2016 to, to towards the end of 2019. Yeah. And one of the things we did, and we, it was four companies all under one roof, all different industries. So we had everything from customer service to a sales force managers. And when we're trying to hire and we're trying to hire a lot of people for in office, what I started doing is we just got a, a higher end video camera and set it up in the space where that manager or that team works. We got a nicer mic, so we got good audio. Yeah. And my whole idea, which really aligns with what you're saying, but from the other side, is I'd say to the manager, you know, write a short script, just introduce yourself, say what you do, say 
what kind of fun yeah. you're having, you know, with the success you're having and welcome people to apply. And then we added that short YouTube video link to job descriptions. And to me, it, it wasn't really about the message all that much. That was important. But my theory was that we can kind of tell who our people are, right? Whether yeah. they're more like an uptight accountant or controller or, a, you know, the fun boss type. But hmm. people will self-select just, just by the tone of voice, by, you know, when you smile. And it's, you know, this has to be done naturally. But people will see that and they'll say, that's the a, that's a type of person I want to work for. Or yeah. they might say, you know, that seems that reminds me of my last manager and I never want to do that again. And they don't apply and then both people will be happier. But that visibility that you mentioned is just brilliant for job seekers. Not not everyone will like you, but the people who do like you will be the type of people, in my opinion, that you'll get along with and will be happy and you'll just, you'll fit in there. Could you dig a little bit more into what would the game plan there be as far as video length? What would the plan be to get this in front of people? Yeah. On LinkedIn, is there a couple steps there that our listeners can start thinking about? So one of the things I coach is the construction of a LinkedIn profile. It's one of about a, you know, a dozen moving parts in a job seekers process. Um, and one of the sections on LinkedIn is the about section, which is a, a short piece of real estate underneath your banner and headline. That's a kind of an intro section. It's about you. Um, and we show you how to write that. And we use a, a, a format called the buyer's journey. Um, which has been codified, PhD theses have been written on it. It's got its own Wikipedia page. It's a big deal. I did not invent it. Um, and once you've written that, I would say that the smart thing to do is just whip out your mobile phone, prop it up in front of you, hit record, and read the about section. And once you've read that, um, click uh, record off, and then upload that to LinkedIn and, and bosh it out there. And that's it. You know, um, my, my, uh, I just pick on someone. Let's say, uh, let's say you're, What's a typical? Let's say you're a project manager. There you go. There's a really common job, right? So you want to be hired by the head of projects or the head of change or somebody in charge of all that transformational stuff. And one of the reasons why they, why they might want to hire you is because you make fewer mistakes and therefore the cost of delivering projects is less because there's less remediation costs and it actually arrives on time because you're not spending time remediating it and therefore you're going to get more bang for your buck because you're going to get more more the return on the project results for longer because you've delivered it, say, two or three months faster. Um, and so your, your about section needs to talk to um, the hiring manager uh, and also talk about their problem, um, how much pain it's causing them, um, what would be the win if they solved that problem, made the pain go away, why it is they haven't done that, and why they should choose you to do it, and what other people thought about um, having you do it for them, a bit of social proof. And then some kind of call to action, which is, you know, if you want to discuss lowering your project costs, then don't message me on LinkedIn now. Happy to talk to you. That little piece there, you can literally just read it to camera and post. Uh, and that's, the, that's the, the, the first post we get everybody to do on LinkedIn. Super, super simple. It's all over in about 60 seconds. Can you identify outside of these videos, maybe just during early interviews, phone calls, maybe in-person interviews? Can you identify a, a type of behavior that you, you've seen in job seekers that are earlier in their career or less polished yeah. and then with the folks that you work with? And what, yeah. what are some things that our listeners could practice or identify within themselves to work yeah. on to, to have that level of polish that I'm sure you help your clients work on or that you see in them frequently? Yeah. Um, Here's the thing, right? Everybody just lean in a little bit. I'm going to give you something really super powerful right now. 
Um, within all organizations, and we're typically talking corporate environments now, um, there is a hierarchy of communication, okay? Uh, so if you're a very junior person, you talk an awful lot about how stuff got done. So if there was an error and you have to write a report, you give chapter and verse, the time, the day, the people involved, the weather, everything. Um, as you go up through the hierarchy and you get more and more senior, the amount of communication reduces. It becomes briefer, more succinct, and becomes less about how and more about why, okay? Until you get to be the CEO and you're talking in very short sentences and very broad brushstroke stuff about, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to move from top five to top three within the next three years. There's zero detail in that whatsoever. It's all very broad stuff. And in between the CEO and the most junior person in the mailroom, there's this hierarchy of communication. So wherever you are in that hierarchy right now, all right, have a little think about the language that you use. So let's take this, for example, let's, let's take a bank. Let's say there was an incident with a customer, the customer complained, and the cashier had to write it up. They wrote a one-page report, handed it to their boss. Their boss has got absolutely no authority to do anything whatsoever because they're a supervisor. So they then summarize it to a paragraph, date, time, incident, um, and, and hand it off to their boss. Their boss then writes one sentence back, do this, let me know how it goes on. By the time the CEO gets it, the thing's disappeared. You know, it's, it's, it's just got, you know, it's, it's, it's not even a line item on a report anymore. Yeah. And so as you go up the communications, um, you want to start talking about what happened um, and start talking about why. Um, and so if you're speaking to a hiring manager, stop talking about how you do your job, right? Because quite frankly, you're deemed to know how to do your job or you wouldn't be there for an interview. But talk about what the benefit of doing your job is, the why. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a project manager, you know, I don't care that you've got 10 years experience as a project manager, that you've got knowledge of project manager 2.0, that you've got a BSc in project management. So what? So is everybody else I'm interviewing today. Tell me why you do your job. It's because I um, can complete your projects three months earlier with three months less costs and less remediation costs post go live, which will save you in excess of a million dollars. That I'll buy. The why of the job is more important than the how. And as you go up, you spend less time talking about the how, more about the why. So depending on where you are in the, in the in pecking order, have a little think about what kind of language the, the rung above you uses and start mirroring that language. You're very junior. You're still going to have a lot of how, but maybe not as much as you know, the mailroom. You're very senior. There's virtually no how in there whatsoever. It's all why. Um, and start using that language. That will resonate with the hiring manager much more um, because that's the way they speak. Just use the language one rung above you. Does that make sense? It does. Cool. With your clients at the Executive Edge, I'm guessing some of them are highly skilled in the work they do, but maybe they're not so good in an interview or in the process. Yeah. I've, seen, I've, I've, look, I've coached FTSE 100, Fortune 500, NASDAQ listed. Some of them are absolutely shockers at interviewing. Can you share a success story of one of those clients that – probably had the skills they needed, but needed your help specifically to stand out in the process and really perform. And part of what I do too, is just helping them put their best foot forward. They already have the skills, but how do you represent those skills to stand out on the application cover letter? And then during the yeah. interaction with the company, anything stand out to you, someone that yeah. you've helped and it made a big impact? Yeah, it's a massive one. Um, actually, now that you make me think about it. Um, this guy is a CIO, Chief Information Officer, the guy in charge of IT. And uh, he joined a company when they were privately owned and about half a billion dollars big. 
Um, and their growth strategy was just to buy other businesses a bit like them, recapitalize and go again. And uh, his job from an IT perspective was to weld the acquired business onto the existing business, extract all the IT value um, and get them ready to go again. And he was able to do that quite rapidly. And uh, as a result of that, they were able to acquire another business every quarter for 10 straight years. They did 40, 40 acquisitions. There wasn't a single acquisition under a billion dollars. And at a certain point in time, they listed, floated, joined the FTSE 100 and ended up as a FTSE 10 company. So enormous that um, some of their later acquisitions were $20 billion in size. Um, and when they got to a FTSE 10, another company, a really massive global business, came to them and said, we like your business, we want your business. And they wrote a check out for $86 billion. So in that 10 years, they grew from half a billion dollars to $86 billion, yeah, 172x growth. They did $40 billion acquisitions. Some of them were you know, tens of billions of dollars. And this guy was the CIO throughout the entire period of time until the acquiring company said, thanks very much, our guy will take it from here, and handed him a redundancy check, which was enormous. You know, second home-sized redundancy check, massive. Um, and he went home, he was very happy, um, and then the next job didn't come. He was so senior and so well-qualified that there weren't that many jobs around that required him. And by the time he met me, he'd been out of work for five years. And, you know, second home had long gone. Financially, he was in a very different situation. And he came to me and said, I'm really struggling. And I, I listened to his story, and he told me all the things I've just told you. Um, but he was marketing himself as a CIO, of which there are thousands. You know, they literally just type CIO into LinkedIn right now. There'll be tens of thousands of people with that um, job title. But his thing wasn't that he was a CIO and he managed widgets and people who managed widgets and all the rest of it, because quite frankly, that's everybody. Um, he was the CIO of a business that went through rapid M&A integration. Yeah? I mean, literally every 90 days, there was a billion-dollar acquisition to be you know, consumed. And I said, you enable CEOs to rapidly grow their revenues by billions of dollars by executing post-M&A integration inside 90 days. He said, yeah. I said, well, say that. Someone's going to buy that. It's not about what you do. It's why. And he was like, oh, okay. And despite the fact you've been out of work for five years, which can you imagine if you were a Fortune 500 executive and you've been out of work for five years, Maybe that was your one shot and you blew it. You know, you're never going to get back in. Got him back in in five weeks flat. Bunch of McKinsey types who had um, left McKinsey, put their money together, created their own private equity firm, were buying up agri-tech businesses, and, and they wanted to weld them all together and either sell or float the resultant mass, and they needed somebody in charge of it from a tech perspective. There were loads of CIOs out there, but very, very few of them can help grow billion-dollar revenue curves through rapid post M&A integration. That was the result that they wanted to buy. The how of it, by managing people, budgets, widgets, stakeholders, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got the how, but the why was huge for them. And he got back in, big salary, equity stake. He's probably only about three or four years away from being worth eight figures. For the job seeker today, I think that same game plan resonates, whether you know exactly what industry you want to be in or what specialty you want to have? Well, I'll give you the other end of the stick. Supermarket cashiers, yeah? You know, total other end of the spectrum. Um, there's a vacancy, requires you to have two years' experience, knowledge of the software that the till uses, um, and, and be paid 10 bucks an hour. Fine. Three candidates apply. Two of them have got two years' knowledge. Two of them have got knowledge of the till software. Two of them are happy to take 10 bucks an hour. And there's this one other guy. He's only got a year's knowledge. He used other till systems. They're not dramatically different, but not exactly this one. And he wants 11 bucks an hour. So he's more expensive. So you interview them all. 
you know, and two of the candidates are like, yeah, do you know what? I could hire either of them. They're fine. But one candidate plonks himself down in the chair and says, instead of, I have two years experience, so they've got the right experience. I've got knowledge of the systems, right? You've got the right knowledge, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He says, I help supervisors, I help shift supervisors grow their turnover, customer um, purchasing turnover by 6%. And I, and I, and I want 11 bucks an hour. I, I'm listening to the guy already. How do you do that? I've noticed that um, most cashiers get through 35 customers an hour. That's what they do is they bag up bags of groceries and they ship them out the door at 35 customers an hour. By making some preparation with the bags and by organizing which items, I don't just take the next one in the queue, I grab certain items out at random orders and pack more efficiently, I can get through 37 customers an hour. That's two extra bags with, you know, worth, I don't know, whatever, two extra customers worth, I don't know, 100 bucks a customer. Um, some of that is profit. A lot of it is just, you know, cost. But, you know, that, that added turnover, you know, every hour as a two, two, two extra customers at 200 bucks, eight-hour shift, 1,600, you know, I can teach this to other people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With even less experience and the wrong knowledge and more cost, you're going to hire that guy. And it's because it's not the how of the job. I bag groceries. Well, we all do that. But the why? The why is because customers are spending money and that's how we make our living. Great. Well, let's, let's, how do we get that throughput up? Well, if we just change a little bit of what we do, then we can get through just two customers extra an hour. And that's worth it. I'll buy that. So I'll buy a more expensive, less qualified, less experienced person because they understood their why. Get that, you win. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. Um, on the job seeking side, the qualitative demands that they're making um, have risen considerably. You know, quality of life, working from home, seeing their kids, being able to do jobs during the day, um, not work at straight hours, you know, eight hours straight through, but do a few hours, bunk off, do something else, come back, do a few hours. That flexibility, that qualitative output that comes from that flexibility has risen. Um, so the, the, it's less about the perks and the pay. It's more about how much flexibility can I get? Because the, the pandemic gave them a quality of life um, that they're they're loath to give up. All right, so the, we're seeing that employers are struggling to understand that and 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 reflect that back in how they employ people. Um, on the hiring side, um, particularly in middle management, remote communication skills have been shown up as to be really really poor. Um, 
when you're in the office and you overhear a conversation between two of your subordinates, how's your dad, how's his leg? Oh, he's taking a turn for the worse. I think he's going to have to go back into hospital. You know, uh, that's why his performance is off right now. There's problems at home. You're not getting any of that information on Zoom. You're not hearing conversations at the water cooler. You're not hearing conversations in the elevator. You're not hearing those drive-by conversations where someone just leans against someone else's desk and has two minutes. All of those communication cues have gone. And as a middle manager, you're now struggling to manage your team and their performance because you don't know this information. And so you'll find human resources are buying communication development skills courses like they're going out of fashion. Um, and the amount of communication skills providers is mushroomed out of all proportions. So, you know, that remote communications piece um, and that remote workings, flexibility slash quality of life piece is two things that I see getting screwed up pretty regularly. Um, but I've also noticed something else, which isn't related to just the last year, but the last four or five years, um, the job seeking pool isn't being replenished at the bottom. The 16 to 24 year olds, your sort of Instagram crowd, um, are not entering the workplace in anything like the volumes that they used to be, because they're looking at the amount of money it takes to survive, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and saying, "Well, what the hell? I'll just run a YouTube account. You know, I can make that." And so there's a lot of people out there making a perfectly comfortable living. If you're 21 years old and you're making $50,000 a year not being in a corporate environment, you're pretty happy, right? The problem is that when they get to 30 and they want to start families and settle down and get a mortgage and they have no real solid work history behind them. And I'm looking at um, uh, some fracturing in the workforce as no one's feeding the bottom. So it's, it's tough to push people up through the ranks uh, when you're not getting fed in the bottom. There's a shortage of um, entry-level uh, staff, but also I'm looking at the financial services industry, which I know incredibly well, and looking at who's developing financial products for the workforce that doesn't, you know, that, that is, you know, deriving their income from social media, and is, you know, is going to be 30 years old and say, can I borrow X hundreds of thousands of dollars? And I, well, where did you work? Well, I, you know, I, I just get advertising revenue for putting videos out on YouTube, and you're like, you know, who, who's What's going to happen in five to 10 years' time when that bunch of people um, decide that they need a corporate job to get access to all the other facilities and services in, in sort of you know, grown-up society, for want of a better phrase? And I think we're, you know, we're going to see some interesting uh, product development in that sort of early adult life, that sort of you know, late 20s, early 30s market. And I don't know what the answer to that is, but I know it's coming because the, there's just a lack of um, uh, entry-level uh, job seekers because they can make their money just on social media um, and, and you know and side hustles and, and and enjoy life you know being a nomad you know your laptop and sod off to Thailand for a bit fine that's great love it but what's you know what what's the more mature society the more kind um, of society going to do with these people when they hit thirty and they don't get it they don't understand how to accommodate them either in the corporate life or in the financial services I think there's, there's going to be interesting schism there. That's a really interesting observation and something that we'll just have to watch and see how it plays out, see how working or at least making a living transforms over the next couple decades. If you could yeah. tell a job seeker one thing to help them succeed that you think the average job seeker should know or change about their approach or behavior or technique, what do you think, what's yeah. the starting point? to stand out during the process? If I could tell a job seeker one thing to help them succeed, 
it would be this. Empathy. Now, it sounds a bit woo-woo, sounds a bit fluffy, but it's the most commercially aggressive thing you can do or be. If you understand the world through the eyes of the other person, which is what empathy is, the ability to see the world through your eyes, then you win. If you can see the world through your boss's eyes, you'll understand what it is that they want. And if you offer that to them in exchange for what you want, you'll get it. If you can see the world through your customer's eyes, so you can empathize with them and understand what it is that it means to them to solve this problem and offer them that, then they'll buy your product. If you can see the world through your um, colleagues' eyes, then you're going to get support from them. And if you can see the world through your partner's eyes, um, then they're going to follow you to the ends of the earth. That empathy, um, it sounds like it's you know, a nice fluffy thing to have, but I think empathy is one of the most commercially aggressive and assertive things that you can do. So I would just urge anyone in life as well as their careers is to practice empathy. What is it that the other person can see that I don't? And if I can understand that and reflect that back to them, you're halfway there. Even if you haven't proposed a solution to anything, they like you more than everybody else just because you get it. Um, and then when you propose a solution, because it solves their problem and their pain as well as makes you money, they'll buy it. You, you're, you're, whether that's your boss, your partner, your colleagues, everything. It, 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 empathy is it's just the most aggressive thing I can, I, I can suggest to anyone. There are listeners that are tuning in right now that are really connecting, I'm sure, with what you're saying mm. and want to learn more. And, and, you know, we have a limited amount of time here, but I know you have a lot more you can share and help with. What type of job seeker should connect with you? Well, typically, um, I've been helping out the very high-end job seekers, but um, I recognize that 80% of what I coach is applicable to anybody, regardless of salary level. And so we've been working over the last six months or so about how to um, make that accessible to people in a way that doesn't require you to pay me tons of money, which is how I make a living. So if you are on less than 80000 a year, um, then we have a program called Johnny Does Job Seeking. And all you need to do is direct message me on LinkedIn and ask for Johnny Does Job Seeking, and you'll get something that's um, super, super affordable. Uh, which just 99 quid a month and will give you 80% of something that people pay me many, many thousands for. Um, and that will get you where you need to go. All right. If you're on over 80,000, but less than 150,000, then the core program, which we call Get Found, Get Hired, and is 100% money back guaranteed to succeed for you as long as you follow the step, then again, just don't message me and ask for Get Found, Get Hired. Um, and that is the core program for the majority of corporate executives. But if you're one of the few, the very few people who are on over 150,000, then the Executive Edge um, is the flagship program, and I deliver it in person. And also personally get involved in all aspects, and the results tend to be spectacular and exceed expectations. And the ROI on that is normally 10x or more. Um, and for that, I suggest rather than direct message me, it's just head on over to um, a web page called myexecjob.com m-y-e-x-e-c-j-o-b myexecjob.com and you can get access to my diary straight away there all right but that is only for people who are ready to take action all right um you're going to be on in excess of one hundred and fifty thousand a year um, including seven figure careers and you're ready to um move jobs or or get back into work if you're out of work that is not to slide into my diary and just kick the tires and have a general conversation about the market. Don't do that. If I end up in a conversation with somebody like that, it'll be short and you won't enjoy it. Don't. 
Um, but for the rest of you, like, yeah, um, I'm ready to make uh, I'm ready to make the move, and I'm, I want to find out exactly how we're going to get that done. Then, you know, don't direct message me; just slide straight into my diary. Help yourself. We will link to your LinkedIn page and also the Executive Edge website, which I have a link to. I'll, I'll I I don't know the exact title off the top of my head, but we'll get both of those in this episode's description. So you can go take a look, connect with Johnny if this sounds right for you. Johnny, first of all, I, I love your perspective and outlook, but also sharing something that's really valuable. And with that value, obviously, there's a cost to that. But you're giving access to your insights to our listeners today. So thank you again. Um, people are, when, when they're in this process, sometimes they don't know now when the next paycheck will be. They don't know when they might have health care next. A lot of questions come up. It's a stressful time, and you've helped relieve a lot of that. Thank you for that. And before we sign off, I want to ask for maybe a final thought from you of encouragement or motivation for these job seekers that are tuning in and listening to us today. Yeah, I, I, and I get it a lot. Uh, job seeking is stressful, and mostly because most of the time you're job seeking, you're out of work, and you don't know when you're going to get back in. And that uncertainty is where the stress comes from. And we study this a lot at my end. Um, if you knew for certain you were going to get back into work, but it wasn't going to be for three or four months, the fact that you knew for certain when it was, you would then be able to work out how to navigate that period of time and the stress would go away. So it's the uncertainty, the, the, the not knowing when, which causes you the stress. And, and, and we, we have to counsel a lot of people about this because for, you know, when you, if you're on a, quite a lot of money and, and you're, you're out of work for any period of time, then life can start to unspool pretty rapidly um, because your costs don't go down. But when we are just reminding people that it's going to be okay, one of the things I do to encourage them is, is remind them of this. Um, so if you're feeling a bit down right now, uh, I want you to know this and carry this with you, please. You are the prize, not the job, you. By definition, you must offer more value to an employee than you cost. Otherwise, the job just wouldn't exist. Right? People don't spend money on employees and get a lower ROI. Everybody is a positive ROI. They have to be, otherwise the job wouldn't exist. Even if you can't quite articulate this, you do know it. All right. And so know that. Know that the ROI on hiring you is greater than your cost. All right. Know uh, know that and understand how much that is. Start looking at you know what are the big gains you've made by doing your work. Is it lowering costs? Is it helping to grow revenues? you mitigate the risk of something happening in a business work out what that is and then demonstrate it when you're at interview all right no hiring manager i know has turned down a walking roi all right i'll turn down the two supermarket cashiers who've got the right knowledge the right experience they know the right software skills but the one person who can demonstrate their roi and knows it and understands that wins all right you are the prize not the job Right? There'll always be another job, but how many people can walk into a room and say, hire me, um, and your costs will go down by more than I cost, or your revenues go up by more than I cost, or et cetera? You know, if you can work that out, you know, if you know what your um, value is and, and you can understand it and you can articulate it at interview, then you are the prize. The hiring manager wants you more than, quite frankly, you need the job. I know you don't feel like that right now, but it has to be true, otherwise the job wouldn't exist. Right? You are the prize. Johnny, we appreciate your insight, your advice, and the help you've provided during this episode. Thank you for joining us. 
You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Are you feeling frustrated with the job hunt? Are endless applications and radio silence getting you down? You can now book me for $1 a minute for 30, 45, or 60 minutes. Don't need 45 minutes? Don't pay for it. Want to do 30 minutes now and maybe 30 minutes later? Once you progress, let's do it. We can conduct a mock interview. I'll help you format great responses that make a difference. We can improve your resume and cover letter to help get you noticed. I'm here to consult with you. If you're in a unique situation and want input from someone that has seen it all and can help you succeed like I have so many others, it's super simple. You just go to jobinterviewexperience.com and click the $1 a minute coaching button at the very top of the page. Select the amount of time you want to meet and then you can look through my availability without having to pay. Check out my availability, pick a time, and pay $1 a minute for 100% of my attention. It's blocked into 30, 45, or 60 minutes, so we won't go over. You won't get charged any more than what you pay at checkout. Remember, the faster you invest in yourself, the faster you land that dream job. Go to jobinterviewexperience.com or follow the link in this episode's description. I'm excited to meet and help you take control of your career today.